Permit me to present you with the most sensational find since that of Tutankhamun. I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the IMMP, the Intermillennium Media Project podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And it's that time of year again. It's October. It is time for spooky themes here on the IMMP. It's spooktacular. Yes. I love it. We've, we've had some of their most fascinating, like, cross-connections doing the the spooky seasons and some things i never expected to be as deep or as interesting come out of this season so i'm excited <laughs> to see what we go into this time we explored the difference between scary and spooky mm-hmm. by talking about psychomania and the adams family That's such a juxtaposition still we went for spooky castles and we talked about Dracula, the 1931 classic, and Cocteau's version of Beauty and the Beast. Yes, with the handelabras. And last year, we, we started out with that same Universal Monsters uh, theme because we went with the 1931 Frankenstein, followed by Young Frankenstein and TV's The Monsters. Aha! So this year, it's a little bit more of a catch-all. We're sort of rounding out the Universal Movie Monsters theme. Oh, so we're going to take multiple of these other shorter-lived monster things and bring them together? That's right. We're going to tie them together in this take, strange, unholy conglomerate. Uh, take these, these monsters and mash them against <laughs> each other. Oh, wait. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I can get behind this. And we are starting with the 1932 classic, The Mummy. Aha. Starring Boris Karloff. It's Boris again. Uh, it is. Karloff the chain. He's back. <laughs> and you get to hear him speak a lot more than you did yeah. in Frankenstein. He or gets, he, gets some, he gets some excellent lines in this one. He's still so creepy though. <laughs> he knows how to he knows how to do the creepy, but the fun thing is he gets to do like passive aggressive creepy this entire <laughs> film he is he's the most passive aggressive monster isn't he yes like fine never mind it wasn't that important i'm sure whatever you're doing is far more important and then every once in a while there's just a that would be threatening if you could get up to my level <laughs> good thing there's such a distance <laughs> anyway i've got things to do <laughs> yes. it's like Dude, <laughs> I've just been waiting for 3,700 years, but whatever, it's all right. Take your time. <laughs> so this is a, this is a monster movie. It's a, it is a classic universal monster movie, but it doesn't focus on a particularly monstrous character. It's a more subtle monster movie in that most of it is psychological. Most of it is under the surface it has yeah. it has more in common with dead again than with dracula or frankenstein it does because it's about a love that transcends time and 
stretches through reincarnation. Yeah, it's 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 odd because it's pieces of this are definitely thinking about how we relate to the stories in different versions, which is part of our podcast point. There's a lot of pieces here I've seen other places, but this is one of those, oh, they were all delivered as one in this earlier cement, you know, cementing work. And then other things seem to be picking from here because little bits about how it approaches these, this, this story of figuring out who the characters have this connection through is such a part of it. Because when we think now about the mummy as a monster, we tend to think of it as the figure wrapped in bandages, slowly pursuing a victim as it shambles along, moaning. Yeah. And we get very, very, very little of that in this movie. No, this, so much more of this is a sly and clever villain in a pretty sharp looking uh, robe and hat, slowly utilizing the foolishness of the the pervasive force known as the british museum yes to his own advantage because it's the only place that's dumb enough to bring certain things together in the same room for him yeah like maybe hey hey, british guys british guys maybe there's a reason this was buried yeah maybe there's a reason to keep it there yeah i kind of appreciate how much the alternate antagonist was in fact you know the excessive museumization outside of the na- of the culture in which the things originated from it's like like they knew how to deal with this why did you take it out of there but for science science could have happened there you fool <laughs> we do get a bit of the classic monstrous ambulatory mummy but only a tiny bit at the very beginning the movie starts out with a scene set in 1921 a British Museum field archaeology expedition to dig up Egyptological artifacts, and they uncover a a mysterious mummy. Yeah. All of whose identifying information has been removed from its sarcophagus, and who has been buried with a magical document, a scroll that involves can re- restoring life to the dead. Mm-hmm. And of course, what do the science, the our, our brave explorers here do? But they translate and read part of it where they found it. <laughs> yes, next to the dead guy. I will say the response to the mummy awaking and taking his scroll and leaving is some of the best. Like human psychology i've seen in some of these horror movies because the response from this younger uh this younger archaeologist is just to start laughing just the unreality of this cracks him and the result is the wild humor of the he just got up and went for a walk cracks the guy and that is so so much scarier than any other response Right, he's not catatonic, he's not panicking, he he's didn't collapse out of fear, he's just hysterical, he's just, he, he, mm-hmm. he cannot do anything other than laugh at this, and I gather 
anything else in the world after that. Yeah. And he was, it was this young archaeologist who wanted to take the risk and translate this scroll uh, with the mysterious mummy behind him. And he's there alone and able to do this because his boss is right outside talking with the expert on Egyptian occult who has been brought in for a consult. And the archaeologist, the lead archaeologist, is essentially dismissing everything this occult expert that he has called in is saying. Because the occult expert is essentially saying, No, do not mess with any of these. To the extent we understand them, everything we understand is bad. Let's put them back, shall we? Yeah. And never speak of this again. And no, it'll be all right. We're here for science. We're archaeologists. We're supposed to unearth these things and and explain them and, and understand them. Yeah, he's kind of there saying, like, you want my translation? The translation is, warning, do not enter. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, we're going in there. Why did you bring me? <laughs> It makes me think about the the projects to create markers for nuclear waste. Yes. And the, the, the message that begins, you know, this is not a place of honor. You know that if archaeologists 50,000 years from now or anything or anything like 20th century humans, they're going to read that and say, Wow, this looks interesting. I wonder what's oh. under here. I, of course, these primitive people were scared of it. But we should still dig it up and investigate it. Absolutely. And they do find a little bit about this mummy as they go. This is the mummy of Imhotep, who was apparently an advisor and magician back in the day. Now, actually, they pulled that name from actual Egyptian history, though. Imhotep was actually an, a, a doctor and architect back in their day. So that does kind of fit with your giant stone obelisk warning this is not a place of iron of honor, because it's like if those future people went there, read this thing, and in somehow resurrected Frank Lloyd Wright, who started charging through their cities and attempting to bring about a great age of concrete. That's kind of what this film becomes in the best way. <laughs> the mummy of Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> I never thought of it quite that way, but I like it. And this is, of course, fueled by the craze over all things Egyptian from the 1920s. Oh, yes. Where so many discoveries were made, and it just really captured the popular imagination in the, the widespread mass media of magazines, especially. And there was some wildly inf informative stuff found at that time, and there's some wildly shoddy stuff. And this kind of shows this tension between the two. Because there's a lot of, we could learn so much and we're understanding more than we ever did, but at what cost? Throughout this entire story. So that's the setup we get, is we, we get the fact that this mummy they had unearthed woke up, grabbed the scroll, and left. And we just get little glimpses of this mummy moving around as an mm -hmm. ambulatory we, mummy. We do get an excellent shot of him opening his eyes in his coffin and finally getting his arms down and kind of like, oh, wait, where am I? 
Like, there is that kind of moment where the mummy is figuring his own scenario out, too. That's kind of chilling. You wonder what this could be like to wake up Mm -hmm. almost 4,000 years after you were buried. And we learn more about how that came to pass later on. But it's just those little glimpses of what we traditionally think of as the monster that is the mummy. And then, whoosh, it's 10 years later. Yeah, time skip. 1931, a field expedition. Again, in Egypt, from the British Museum. This time, the archaeologists there are Frank, the son of Sir Joseph, who had been leading the, the expedition 10 years earlier, and his friend. And they are approached by this mysterious Egyptian, Ardath Bay. Yes. And they've had a bad season of digging, but he has something very, uh, very promising for them. Yeah, I can tell you exactly where to dig to find a more wondrous discovery than most any other. Based upon the fragment that he gives them, it is the, the tomb of Princess Ankes and Amun. And he was right. They dig where he says he found this bit of pottery. And they find spectacular, uh, they recover spectacular finds of this, the burial site of this princess. So they immediately dig up all these wonderful things and store them at the museum in Cairo for review. But their, their guide disappears after that. And it's interesting in that when he's introducing this, uh, when Ardeth Bay is telling these British archaeologists about the, the location that he's found in this fragment that he has, he explains that he's giving it to them because the Egyptian people are not allowed to dig up the relics of their own ancestors. Foreigners are allowed to. And that's where you get this really passive-aggressive very affectless description that he's provi- giving, this, this reasoning for handing this over to you British folks, but there is absolutely this edge of offense and disdain that he has as he's explaining this. And it c- becomes clear, no, I'm sorry, you guys are tools, I need to use you to unearth what I need unearthed. Yeah. It's kind of like, hi, my shovels, please dig. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, Okay. But he vanishes and then later reappears as they are kind of celebrating their success going to the nightlife in Cairo. And also, because of this, they, they contact England and, and Sir Joseph comes back because he should be here for the, the, uh, the, the opening of this amazing find. So we've got Sir Joseph and his son and their friend and still the occultist who tried to warn them 10 years earlier. I've been doing this for a decade, <laughs> yelling at you to do the right thing. But they meet a woman who will become extremely central to all this. Helen Grosvenor, played by Zita Johan, who is a half-Egyptian woman who looks a whole lot like all the pictures of the princess they just dug up. Yes. And she is staying in Cairo as a guest of the occultist the the occult professor because she didn't want to go to the sudan where her uh her father is the british governor but this gives her a reason to be in cairo to be operating at in in these circles 
and she meets Sir Joseph and his son under weird circumstances. Yeah. Because Ardeth Bay is once again up to things. He's being a little more than just weird. He's, he's getting creepier by the moment. He, he's hanging out in the Cairo Museum in the, uh, the gallery that houses all of the relics of this princess. And he stays after hours and starts performing this ritual, which involves a lot of chanting of the princess's name. Yeah. And trying to call her back to him. And meanwhile, while this is happening, Helen starts to become transfixed or possessed and makes her way out of the party where she was and to the the Cairo Museum, trying to get in. So, you can kind of guess what it is. She's the reincarnation of the princess. (laughs) And... She can't get in, but our, our British heroes kind of rescue her from collapsing at the, the door to the museum. Meanwhile, inside, a guard has found Ardeth Bay doing this ritual, and that didn't turn out well for the guard, mm-hmm. who seems to have died of fright, it seemed, later. This, this is where I believe they start doing one of the major things, which is, in a lot of other stories with mummies they give them like sources for their magical power and such for their dark evilness if they're the bad guy creature thing this version of the mummy just really has one ring of a scarab and he can just kind of point it at you and cause things to happen he's kind of like some sort of weird egyptian version of the green lantern character he just (laughs) points his ring at people and they die of fright Get a blinding headaches, become hypnotized. It's all on this one multi-use thing. <laughs> and at some point I started saying, if this guy was dangerous enough to be condemned to the kind of mummification and exile burial thing he was given, why did you bury him with the ring? <laughs> That's a very good point. This really should have been an artifact <laughs> removed and separated yeah, from him. Let's bury this or on the other side of the kingdom or maybe melt it down or something. Yeah, but no, they left him with it. And he seems to use that thing as the focus for doing all sorts of bad stuff. Yeah, we're going to bury Sauron right here, but he seems to like this ring. So exactly. let's just let him keep it. He's dead. What's the harm? Exactly. <laughs> but they kind of piece it together as they go. Realizing that Bay is, in fact, the mummy. And confronting him and getting kind of a, well, what are you going to do to stop me? You can't. And he even comes to them when he realizes that Helen has been taken back to their house to be looked after after she collapsed. And, of course, Frank immediately falls in love with her, the, the younger archaeologist, Sir Joseph's son. And Ardeth Bay is looking for this scroll. Uh, and. We'll stop at nothing to get it. And again, he's got... Boris Karloff presents this character with this wonderful, understated menace. He, he can just be standing in a room, and you don't want to stop watching him because you're afraid of what he might do next. Yeah. Um, where the parlor scene against Count Dracula in the Universal films had this, like... 
the bad guy as the the suave man who could speak things, there's a little bit more of the looming threat you don't dare turn because he will he, he I don't think the mummy would have resorted to fisticuffs, but he would magically sucker punch you if he could right now. Yes. And so it's like you've got to keep your eyes on him. You can't have a little bit of that back and forth conversation. He's a little bit more aggressive in that sense. And it's an interesting difference in these characters. I think that comes from the fact that Dracula versus the mummy have very different kinds of motivation. Dracula is mainly just driven by his desire to survive Mm -hmm. and therefore continue to grow his power. And he's fixated upon this particular woman in England and this family as a means to that. but. He, there's nothing to prevent him from, if this got too difficult, from cutting his losses and finding other victims. The mummy has a very singular focus. Yes. He wants to retrieve his lost love, who is now reincarnated in Helen, and will stop at nothing to, to obtain that and bring her back, because that is all he has survived for. This is a dead man on a mission, and you yes. better not be in his way. So, there is something more dangerous, because, you know, if you're in the way of whatever Dracula is looking for at the moment, your odds are not good, but if you make things difficult enough for Dracula, well, he'll just go. If you are, in, if you are between Ardeth Bay, Imhotep, and his lost love, you are in trouble, because he is not going to stop. Exactly. And the MacGuffin of the scroll becomes this back and forth thing because there's the want to keep it for the research and the power and the understanding it could give, but the need or the the demand to destroy it to make sure that the mummy can never get it. And eventually the occultist who is recommending that they destroy it because it is too powerful and it's the one thing that the, the bad guy needs. Eventually, that wins out. They try to destroy it, but they don't succeed. Right. Because it turns out that Imhotep's ability to create heart attacks can work at a distance because he has a magic pool in which he can scry things happening elsewhere. Is anyone else, anyone else who sees that, does it remind them of the potato chip scene from Death Note a little too much? <laughs> Just watching someone <laughs> from a distance and killing them with a heart attack? It's like, oh, I didn't expect that flashback right now. (laughs) And this also leads me to one of the things. This is a movie. It's a a British-American movie set in Egypt, made in early 1930s. Oh, yeah. There is a lot of not just, well, cultural appropriation, obviously. There is a lot of racism in here. There's the fact that the... Egyptians and Africans that we meet are all incredibly susceptible to the hypnotic power of Imhotep and, and also immediately recognize him as a, a kingly figure and will do his bidding, even if they haven't actually been hypnotized to do so. Yeah. It's kind of creepy. It does not play very well now. Yeah, it's, it's awkward heavily. And it's not absolutely necessary to move the plot forward in this particular movie. It was just used because it was taken for granted. So, Sir Joseph's Nubian manservant, Butler, 
is as soon as he sees Imhotep at the door, is in the thrall of Imhotep, and he comes and gets the the scroll as soon as Sir Joseph is kept from uh, destroying it. Yeah. There's a lot of vagueness in terms of who's hypnotized, but there's definitely a lot of, like, oh, of course he can be because of this. It's like, oh, dang it. Right. It it doesn't add as much to the the back and forth chess match of who has what and how do you get it to place as they think it does. But we wind up coming to the point where uh, the mummy has captured uh, our our damsel in distress and has the scroll, and he is about to do his final act. And it is kind of easy to to capture her when he can just hypnotize her from a distance and have her come by his place when she's out walking her dog. But that's when he shows her the past in his magical pool. Yeah. And where we get all the backstory about the fact that she, the prin- she, uh, that, that the princess was you know, the daughter of the pharaoh and was taken ill and died, but she was also the beloved of Imhotep. And though they loved one another, she was was lost, and she died and was buried. And he sought to do the unforgivable thing, which was to get this scroll of thought and use it to bring her back to life. Another piece of actual Egypt research. I'm just going to point out, Thoth was their Egyptian god of like writing. So now I'm just going to add the the powerful artifact that uh, the resurrected Frank Lloyd Wright is using to take over the world is going to have to be a special copy of Webster's English Dictionary. Just saying. Sorry. <laughs> well, Thoth was the the had domain over a lot of things. Yeah, and writing was a pretty magical thing. It was. That's that's probably a good point. So you know, we see it's, him echoed in uh, Mercury uh, and Hermes of the number of. Of things related to death, though. It's not one related to death. <laughs> and that's kind of my point. It's like, mm, <laughs> not as such. Not right. as such, yeah, <laughs> but I get you. And this, of course, they, they have tied this into the, uh, the story of Osiris and bringing generally, oh, there are Egyptian gods who have knowledge that can bring people back to life. Yeah, it does work for that. But Imhotep is discovered before he can can finish the ritual to bring back his uh, beloved, and he is punished in the the worst way that that he could be. Even though he was an exalted advisor to the pharaoh and a great magician, he is seized, he's wrapped up and buried alive as a mummy. Yes. In a sarcophagus and in, in a tomb in which all of the identifying information, anything that would 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 let anyone know who he is uh has been destroyed taken away and but they bury him with the scroll yeah they i guess they figured well we had to bury this guy alive to punish him from using it we better bury the scroll too as long as we've dug a hole there's a little bit of a if anyone's foolish enough to try to get this thing they'll see what happened to the last guy kind of attitude to it but it also seemed it, 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 
turned out not for the best that they were so easy to obtain at the same time. Right. So we're going to bury him with the ring and with the scroll. This is, this is the Imhotep Deluxe set. comes with all the accessories. <laughs> and it's, it is this pretty cool period costume drama that we get in the middle of this 1930s movie. Yeah. Because it is, of course, Boris Karloff playing Imhotep in this flashback. And it's Zita Johan playing the princess Ankes and Amun. Yes. In these flashbacks. And we get to see them play out this story of love and death and attempted resurrection. And when we come back from this period drama, Helen is having a wild time because now she's got the memories of both versions of herself, her previous life as this princess and her current. And it's really messing with her. And she, yeah, she is, she's losing her identity. She doesn't quite know who she is. And she is is found and brought back to the, the house and is looked after. And no one seems to know quite what to do. Physically, she's kind of okay, but she's, she's ill in some way, and she doesn't quite know where she is. And, and, she's, and yet she's starting to become very clever in trying to convince people, I'm fine, let me go, I just want to sit up, I just yeah. want to see Frank, uh, with whom she, Helen seemed to be falling in love with Frank, just as he's fallen in love with her. And yet the other half of her still has her love for Imhotep because the other half of her is the princess. Exactly. It's this wonderful story in which it's about a conflict of identity within one character. And they, there's this, this one, it's kind of an interesting thing because there's this wonderful moment where we watch the doctors outside discussing while she tries to plan uh, surprising Frank. But then it's like, wait a minute. Which half of her is asking for these things? Yes. And that confusion kind of extends to the audience. And we don't get a clear signifier that everyone else has missed. We're just as uncertain which one is talking at the same time. And I really, I really thought that was a compelling moment because it pulled you in with its own little sub-mystery going on amongst all the horror. And, and Zia Johan does a really good job of playing this character with that that tension that 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 sense of hiding something even as she's delivering lines even even as she's relating to other characters that's part of why i wanted to make sure to mention the actress because zira does an amazing job and she gets scenes that are almost as creepy as boris's yes with her own stuff and she's playing this ancient person in modern times at moments just the, way, the same way. There's kind of a second force that you're not sure of in all of this that she gets to be eerie about. And she does an excellent job of it throughout the entire bit. And meanwhile, the, the occultist has given an amulet to Frank to protect him from Imhotep's heart attack ring ray. And unfortunately, Frank kind of leaves that hanging on a doorknob, so he almost succumbs to an attack from Imhotep, because Imhotep does get Helen back, because he needs to complete the ritual to bring back his, uh, his beloved princess. And that ritual involves killing her 
and then reanimate mummifying her and reanimating her the same way he is so that they can live together immortal yeah just just killing her a little bit yeah just for a few a few minutes apparently and you get to watch as she goes from this conf- this self-conflicted two people in one to the princess side of her being just as horrified at what this man she used to know is doing as as the the Helen side of her is and they kind of work together to escape him best they can to some extent because to some extent it is her her deepening memories of her past life that save her mm-hmm. because she remembers she cannot be subject to this this ritual of thought because she is a priestess of isis yeah and she calls upon isis to to save her and eventually at the very end the statue of isis in the room responds and there's this brilliant hubristic moment where the the attempted resurrection bringing back that the mummy has been doing this entire time is what gives someone else the power to defeat him. Yes, and it's a wonderful symmetry because through Imhotep we have seen this ancient magic still works. Yes. Well, if the ancient magic still works, it should work for anybody who knows that ancient magic. And thanks to the fact that he has awakened her past knowledge, she knows her own version of the ancient magic and can call upon Isis to use it. Exactly. So I do like the fact that there is a degree to which the British guys just kind of show up to see what's happening, but they are not instrumental in saving the day in any appreciable way. Yeah. They, they really don't do anything, and our damsel in distress saves herself. Right. And Isis ha- sets the scroll on fire, zaps Imhotep. Yeah. It kind of solves itself in a <laughs> right. weird way, but it's very effective. But they are there for a good... They, they do help in one final thing. Because... The, uh, Alan is dying now. After all of that. And there's a little bit of implication that she wouldn't have made it if Jack hadn't been there saying her name and snapping her out of it while the scroll burned. And she comes back at the very end. That's a good point. Yeah, she... In, in remembering enough to use the magic, she kind of... She became fully... Princess Ankhanes Amun. Yeah. And he needs to bring back Helen, whose life this is, and who has the right to live her life. And there's this little bit of parallel in the way Jack is there holding her in this temple, saying her name, back to when the mummy was chanting the princess's name in the the museum at night. There's this tiny bit of parallel there about this did you just call upon the same magic at an earlier point? Just a little? I like that. I never thought of that, but I can see the parallel now that you mention it. Mm-hmm. We, we see Ardeth Bay chanting Ankhanes Amun over and over, and here's Frank chanting Helen, Helen. 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 There's this little bit there which kind of muddies the water but also possibly ties a piece back to itself and ties in so nicely with the whole idea of thought and writing as you pointed out and yeah. the power of names mm-hmm. naming things 
calling upon their power. Exactly. I like that. But that's, that's the, and honestly though, it's a kind of abrupt end. Yes. Yes. So much happens in that tiny scene or a relatively small scene at the end there. I like that because it it really makes uh, more of a thrilling pace, but there's a lot of detail to absorb as far as what's going on and who's responsible for what. But the mummy disintegrates into dust, having been zapped by Isis, and the day is saved. And it all kind of is wrapped up a little neatly, but it implies that there's a lot more in the museum here that could be scary. Yes, this is one bit of ancient magic that's been awakened, and we've been digging this stuff up for how many decades? We we unearthed Tutankhamun's tomb 10 years earlier. Exactly. Who knows what else we might be either we have disturbed or are about to disturb as the more we dig things up here. So instead of leaving with a looming creepiness to the story, it leaves with a very open door that there could be more out there. But this one is contained and complete. And I do like that. A lot of horror likes to end on that, that note of it could happen again. With a bit too much of a heavy hand. This one, it's, it's still in there, but it's much more subtle with some of what happens. In right. terms of any lingering aspect of the, the horror of this exact story. Yes, you can never write off Universal's ability to bring back a monster. But in terms of the way this movie ends, it's not a question of, well, we saved the we saved Helen, but the monster escaped. It's more, well, th- we took care of this monster, but exactly. Well, I think that's leading us towards our final questions and some other discussion. I think so. But first, we want to let you know, listeners, that if you want more of the Intermillennium Media Project, you can go to immproject.com. That's where you will get all of our past episodes, including all of those previous Halloween episodes. If you also want to contact us, you can contact us on our Discord there or on our contact page, where you will find not only the ability to contact us online, but to send actual physical mail to our P.O. Box. And if you want to support the IMMP, you've got a shop there if you like coffee mugs and t-shirts and uh, fun things like that. And also, if you want to support us and get more content, join our Patreon. Absolutely. We've got special discussions there about a variety of topics. You can get information about things early and planning even more. And Ian, where can people find you online? I can be found most places online as item crafting, including itemcrafting.com, which is my under construction website for all of my other projects, and places like Twitch, where Item Crafting Live is where I will be streaming. And you can find me online at bymatthewporter.com. That's where you will find links to anything I'm doing, including my Mastodon account, and also my YouTube, where you can find me rambling about newer movies, mostly in the Draft House Diaries. But now it's time for our final questions about The Mummy. It is. Well, screen or no screen? I'm going to give this a surprising no screen. Ooh, I enjoyed watching it. So maybe it is something for someone else. But I must say, we, didn't, we talked a lot about the story. We didn't talk a lot about the pacing. And this movie did not grab me with some of its pacing as much as I expected. It 
kind of just fell flat in the middle for me in ways most black and white films don't, but in a way I've heard some people describe it doing. This one just didn't grab me in that way. I loved a lot of it, but I, maybe it's because of what I expect of a mummy's story is not this. This was a very different kind of tale. That is interesting. I had, as far as pacing, I had almost the opposite reaction. I was watching this and realized we're only a half an hour into this movie. They have packed a lot into that half an hour. Hmm. So that's interesting. It may just be, you know, what different cues we're picking up on, what we're, what's going to uh, uh, appeal to us specifically. But I thought that com- for a, a relatively short runtime of a movie from the early 30s, I compare this, say, to Dracula. I'd say this is much more tightly paced than Dracula. I kind of wanted to have a bit more time to absorb the environment, though. They moved so fast sometimes that it started to blur, and I just started to follow along, and then it wasn't there. I wanted to seep in it a bit more. I wanted some more slow spooky, which they didn't give me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, a lot of this was British guys in suits in libraries talking to each other. So Yeah, give, 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 me, a, give me a slower pan when you're showing me the sarcophagus at first. They never gave me that. It's not yeah. quite what I expected. and. Maybe it was my pre, what I expected when I went in to see a movie called The Mummy, but it just never clicked. Maybe it was also this showing. I might go, I might go back and rewatch it and we'll see, but if I have to go off of this one, it's not a screen. Well, that's very interesting. So this is a rare split decision for us. It I'm going to say screen and you have, you know, have, have, have very good reasons for saying no screen. Absolutely. But our next question and this is, a, again, a very weird one. Yeah. A very weird question to ask about the first movie about a particular universal movie monster. Revive, reboot, or rest in peace? Well, of course, being a universal monster movie, there's plenty of them. There's got to be son and daughter and uh, brother-in-law. The, the, the mummy's hand, the mummy's tomb, the mummy's ghost, and the mummy's curse. Which all don't feature Imhotep. They feature Chorus, played by two different actors, a completely different mummy. Well, at least they, they honored the fact that Imhotep was melted and turned into dust at the end of the mummy. Yeah, I kind of appreciate that. It's like, looking this up, I'm like, oh, it's a brand new mummy. Oh, hey! <laughs> Hey, it's 1920s and 30s. We got plenty of mummies. We got more mummies than we know. It's what the to do new with. model mummy. This one, <laughs> this one comes with a USB-C charger. Uh, and then, of course, because they counted under their official canonical mummies in Universal stuff, there's also the the cousin of Caris, Claris, only ever seen in Abbott and Costello meet the mummy, <laughs> which also implies that the mummy is like a title as being the monster. I guess. Because they are all the mummy. So I guess it's like being the Dread Pirate Roberts. You can get a license for a local <laughs> area to be that. I guess they could have called the sequel Another Mummy and you know, still more mummies. But Too mummy, too furious. <laughs> now this is a movie where I don't think the original that we just watched, is the first of these movies that I saw. Okay. To the extent I saw any of these, it was, again, local TV. It was Channel 9 or Channel 11 Saturday nights, and they would show monster movies. 
I think because of scenes that I remember, I think the first one that I saw might have been one of the later movies, which was kind of more gruesome in some ways than this one was. Absolutely. From what I can tell, these other ones had a lot more of that lumbering horror creepy thing that has more magical than physical danger to it kind of mummy characterization and yet also what i recall is seeing this movie and finding this movie very scary and again i was probably in that 10 to 11 year range when i saw these and something about this movie at the time i found scarier than Dracula or Frankenstein. Those were scary movies to me at that age because there was that sense of, oh, Dracula's out there and he could show up and get me. Or Frankenstein is giant and can be brought back to life whenever a bad guy wants to bring him back to life and he can come and get me. With The Mummy, it wasn't so much The Mummy is a monster who could get me. It's the fact that the story involved these sinister secret magical things mm-hmm. like it's who knows what could be out there and could get me who knows what ancient evils could have magical powers that could make me forget who i am or hypnotize me into doing something terrible or there was just something something about the the subtle understated power that we see emotep wield was so much scarier than just a monster who can come and get you. Yes, I can completely see how that would be. Like the 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 more overtly terror filled ones are actually going to be a little bit more confrontable. Yes, which leads into actually my connection with this, which is the fact that this is not the Mummy franchise I know. The Mummy franchise I know is the next set of reboots, starting in 1999 with the Mummy. Which I was too young to see. Yes. <laughs> but I did get to see. And I really liked that. That was a you did not fall asleep as planned at the drive-in, wasn't it? Yes, it was. <laughs> but I love that movie because it's actually much more a, co- a, a collection of the versions of depiction of mummies, including a lot more than I'd realized of this version of Imhotep from the original movie, compiled into one character. Facing off against a character who is not from the the stories of this kind of version of adventuring, but is much more a cross between the Indiana Jones and some of the Sinbad-style stop-motion-fighting swashbuckler that we know from other films we've watched. It's a character that's much more in that kind of genre, facing off against each other. And so it's seeing this same kind of Man on a mission cannot be stopped. I will stand here and quip to you because you're beneath me. Bad guy against a person who is more likely to swing on a rope and grab a thing. And it's a it's a very different kind of energy. But I love that confrontation of style in that sense. Right. And the show, I think that movie shows a team working so well together. Yes. We've got the man of action and the woman of knowledge and science. Yes. Who is also the person who is being, um, who is the target of, of the awakened mummy. 
but I, I love the way they show them working as a team throughout that movie. So I think that is a, a really good movie, that 1999 remake of The Mummy. Mm-hmm. But you're right that it is a remake of this 1932 movie. It is. More than a lot of people would recognize. It's not just another take on a mummy story. They really go back to some of the core ideas of this original movie. Exactly. And finally, there's one more reboot that we're going to mention, which is that The Mummy was one of the only films to come out in the Dark Universe attempted uh, series via Universal. And the 2007 fantasy action adventure film starring Tom Cruise kind of tried to do a twist on this where the princess's mummy was the one that had all the dark magics and had a much more blow up planes and buildings to get what I want method of obtaining the things needed to do their ancient power. And that was all set in the present day, wasn't it? Yeah, that was set in a present day story with a much more dark and gruesome and explosions kind of way of doing so. I have not seen that movie. I think I might have seen a little bit of it, a few scenes here and there. But it focused first on all of their business plans. And we want to build this dark universe franchise. We're going to hire Tom Cruise to be in this mummy movie without starting with the question, can we make a good movie? Or at very least, do we have characters people care about? I mean, you look at what's happening over on in Disney and Marvel. Yeah, Marvel, the whole all the Marvel movies started out with the idea of making a franchise, but that that's because they looked and said, we have characters people care about and people can care about. We'll start with the characters, build stories from there, and that's going to be a franchise. I don't know what they thought they were starting with other than the title. And that's not enough to build a franchise. From what I've seen, though, there's a little bit of something in there. There's a little bit of a clever twist on this, having done the original and then a remake. They, they pulled a couple of things that seemed different. I don't know if they breathed as well in that story that they produced, but there's enough of a trying something new I can appreciate it there because they've got some turns and changes to what you would have expected about who is who is being targeted by who in the the reset of this chess game that the mummy stories always are and that sounds like a lot of potential and i i could see really interesting things being done with a a contemporary dark version of not just the mummy but also frankenstein and dracula yeah. and the invisible man any of these but you've really got to start with yeah a, a story we care about because there are characters we care about do you hear that, Universal? You can Dark Universe if you want. Just don't start out Dark Universing. Start out movieing. <laughs> yes. Then universe them darkly. Right. Exactly. As, as, as ridiculous as the Fast and Furious franchise has gotten, it was so good for so long because there were characters we cared about and really cool cars, but there were characters we cared about. I wonder if anybody who has actually seen that mummy movie beginning to end could tell us what's the name of the character that Tom Cruise plays. I bet they're just saying, well, yeah, then Tom Cruise does this and Tom Cruise gets to be in this action scene. That's not a character we care about. Yeah. Yeah. I I will say, though, you pointing out fast, us both pointing out fast and furious now and knowing that they'll do it with 
Abbott and Costello, I kind of want to just see, you know, Dominic and Letty meet the mummy. <laughs> It'd be a well, very different film, but they have done everything else, so why not? Wouldn't be bad. Kind of fun, yeah. <laughs> and there's Universal doing something exactly. interesting. <laughs> but I've taken up too much time badmouthing a movie. I have admitted I have not seen, but uh, but I, I would hope that more can be done with these um, with these Universal monster properties, including the Mummy. So yeah, I so would say, yeah, give us a reboot. Somewhere. Yeah, we're looking at this and. I've described it a couple of times. The mummy is a chess match. This is someone coming up and making the first move and everyone else realizing the game they're playing and having to move carefully again. Mm -hmm. I think you can do wonderful things with that. And in a modern, if you want to do it in a modern day setting, there are brand new wild things we would have that might surprise this ancient enemy. Yes. And there's things this ancient enemy could do that we wouldn't know how to respond to. I honestly think you could do an amazing, subtle The Mummy nowadays, using the exact same thing. Why was it never done, dug up during the heyday of this? Because it was buried in a way that wasn't the way they buried anyone else. But ah. we found it now because we've got new ways to hunt for things. So we found the thing they thought would not be found. We dug up the thing they thought that wouldn't be dug up. And we unleashed the thing that shouldn't be unleashed. And now we're fighting against it. Fits so well. It does. And it brings me back to the nuclear waste it uh, does. analogy. So I could Im imagine it being done extremely well. But you've got to have it as that, that looming and intelligent threat instead of the mindless monster. And that is such a key part of this that I'd hope they'd keep from the original, but I'd really love to see a modern reboot leaning on that creativity. I'm suddenly thinking about the Project Monarch movies. Yeah. A modern take on a classic monster formula, Godzilla. That kind of sensibility brought to the mummy and other universal monsters could be really great. Absolutely. So it sounds to me as if we're both looking for reboots, if they can do it right. We are. There's a lot still in here to, to go with, and I think that I'd love to see more. This was excellent, and I'm excited to see the rest of them, because I'm kind of slotting each of the different Universal Monsters as different ways of approaching a similar kind of style of horror. <laughs> so I'm wondering to know what's next, because that's going to be another one I have to compare to the rest of them. And we do have two more Universal Monster movies to come uh, this month yes. as we, we do the run-up to Halloween. So we hope you'll join us in a couple of weeks for the next one of those. And in the meantime, go find something new to watch. <laughs>